Someone has observed that tomorrow is the devil's favorite word. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to add to that. If there's one thing this culture has done good to us, it's this, given us the false hope of tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Hey, let's get busy for the things of God. No, tomorrow. Hey, let's go, let's go raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. Tomorrow. Let's make sure that, that we serve God, maybe tomorrow. And this culture is always getting us to think about tomorrow. And while we're worried about tomorrow, we lose today. And then we lose the next day while we're all worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. And then our kids grow up right, behind, right before us. All the stuff we accumulate rusts and breaks down. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's eternal. Your stuff isn't going to make it. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us and welcome to another edition of Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is taking us through Hebrews where you could say the theme is Jesus is better. And as we're learning in chapter one, that includes better than the angels. You'll see why that's so important for us to establish as we move along. But first, we're going to talk about the day of the Lord and how to be prepared as it approaches. Read on in 2 Peter chapter three, he says, so, so verse 9 is like a beautiful verse, and then verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's what's being described in Hebrews. The day of the Lord. It'll come surprisingly to people. They won't, they won't be ready for it. Notice verse 11, therefore, because the day of the Lord's going to come, and it is, and imminently, since all these things will be dissolved, what kind of people should you be? What kind of people should you be? And he gives you four things. These are the kind of people we should be. Number one, we should live in holy conduct. Number two, we should live in godliness, reflecting God in our lives. I mean, I'm telling you, the world and the church and, and let's, not, let, let's not just broadcast it like broadly. I, I just don't understand why so many believers, they look like the world. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Perhaps that's even in your life right now. We wouldn't even be able to tell the difference. Believers are divorcing just like everyone else. Believers are going out partying. Believers are doing things that don't reflect anything of the godliness of God. They, they don't reflect, here you are, I follow God, but actually in your life you deny Him. Why? Why is that your life? Why do you think that's God's will for you? Why do you think it's going to get you where you really want to go? I mean, the divorce rate among those that say they're Christians is skyrocketing. I talked to somebody not too long ago. We were talking about an imminent divorce. And just so you know, if you ever come to me before divorce happens, I'm going to beg you not to do it. I'm going to remind you what the Bible says. I'm going to tell you to put the work in. 
submit to the Lord. I'm going to give you all, I'm going to open a Bible and then just, so, and then you might, well, I'm not going to come to you. Well, then don't come to me. The Holy Spirit will chase you. You don't get away from him. And so not too long ago, I was talking to someone and they've got this decision. Should I stay in my marriage or go with this new person? And so I, I look him in the eye and I said, what are you going to do? And they said, I'm going to pray about it. And I said, you're going to pray about that? You're going to pray about what you already know the answer of God's word is? You know what that sounds like? Sounds like the world. What are you going to do? Whatever I want. That was the answer. And you say, well, what happened, Ed? What happened? I don't know yet. I hope that the truth that was given, and I hope if that person decides to pray, that heaven screams, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, maybe it's not divorce for you. You fill in the blanks of just how much the church and the world look alike. And remember, church is not a building. We're the church. You're the church. So it's not reflected in worship style or song selection or color of paint. Or, that's not the church. The church is you and me. And the day of the Lord is coming. And the day of the Lord is not, is not a good time. It reflects the wrath and the judgment of God. That day is coming where this world will be dissolved, rolled up, burned away. It's temporary. Jesus Christ is eternal. And the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, a day that is described more in the Bible than just about any other topic. I jot it down, Isaiah chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 26, 2 Peter 3. It's all over the Bible, this day of judgment. Sometimes it's called uh, the day of the Lord. Sometimes it's called Jacob's trouble. In the New Testament, we see it as referred to, lived out in the great tribulation period, Revelation chapter 6, verse 19. And it is true that I believe Jesus Christ will come and rapture the church to himself before the great tribulation period. Why? Because the Bible says that believers have not been appointed to wrath, that Jesus Christ himself took upon himself the wrath of God in exchange for your sins and mine. That the judgment, the full weight and penalty of sin was paid for by Jesus Christ. He didn't leave not even a small part of it. It's been taken away by his blood and proven by his resurrection. And so even as I know everybody likes to debate on when the rapture is and what time, even wherever you fall, just understand this. The day of the Lord is coming. And it will be shocking to everyone experiences it. It's going to come like a thief. What kind of people should we be living in godliness? What type of people should we be? We should be men and women that are growing in godliness, growing in our holy conduct. We shouldn't be making fun of it. We shouldn't be laughing at it. We should be living in greater ways of submission. We should, no, no, look in verse 12, we should look for his coming and hasten the coming of the great day of God. Look for. You know, I thought of a great illustration of looking for something. Anybody ever lose their keys? Before an appointment? Got to get out the door. Where are my keys? I just happen to be one of those people that freaks out when I lose my keys. 
Because I think of all the horrible things that can happen if somebody finds my keys. And what about this key? And I've got the church key. And I go, oh, where's my keys? In your pocket, Ed. Oh, yeah, they're in my pocket. Or, I mean, I'm not selling these or anything, but I want you to know this little white thing actually helps a lot because on my phone, when I lose my keys, I can push a little button. And if these keys happen to be in my house, it will sing a little song to me. And it's a sweet little song. I tried to demonstrate it last night. I can't get it to work. But that, I, I lose my keys. I lose my wallet. Sometimes I lose my mind. But when I lose something, I'm pretty paranoid about finding it. Well, I don't want to say paranoid because then you guys are like, what a crazy pastor you are. I am, but I just like, man, where's my keys? And Marie's just sitting over there. You'll find them. And please don't ever do this again. Somebody says, I lost my keys. Don't do this. Don't ask them, where did you lose them? <laughs> like seriously, if I knew where I lost them, we would not be having this conversation right now. Seriously, don't do that. Where did you last see them? I have no idea because if I knew they'd be in my hand. Looking for the day. Are you looking for the return of Jesus Christ, church? Are you looking for him to come and rescue and redeem and to live in the fullness of his presence. Are you looking? So I have Saturday and Sunday. We had service last night. I had this message on my mind. I've been meditating on it. And I woke up yesterday morning, and one of the first thoughts in my mind was looking for the coming of the Lord. It was on my mind. I had two things on my mind. One, I'm praying for a family in a very serious family situation right now. First thing on my mind, around the same time, oh, Lord, if you, you know, and I start thinking of problems and thinking, oh, Lord, this, and oh, Lord, this situation, even in my own life. If you would just come back now, everything would be solved. It would just be so good to be in your presence. I'm looking for you to come. Yesterday, I was able to tell Saturday night service, yeah, man, you pastors walking in the Spirit, so thinking of the Lord. Then Sunday morning came. Today, set my alarm early, but I woke up way before my alarm. And I woke up. You know the first thing on my mind? What time is it? So I go over and tap my watch there on the side, and I was like, it's 4 o'clock. Second thing on my mind, I'm going back to sleep. I roll over, go to sleep, Wake up again, tap my, it's 4.05. What am I doing? I'm going back to sleep. I mean, five, I mean, anybody ever do that? Every five, say five minutes of sleep at a time is fine with me, man. I'll take it. And then finally, I couldn't fall back to sleep. About 4.30, I get up, I go downstairs and work out. And I, and, and I didn't really think of the coming of the Lord until first service. Really, truly. Like it wasn't on my mind. I was caught up at working out. Then I got up this morning and did my devos. And even though I did my devos, I was in the Word reading about Jesus and temptation and such, but I wasn't thinking about His coming. I was thinking about coming here. And I was thinking about being on time. And I was thinking, of, I had a lot on my mind, but I wasn't looking for the coming of the Lord. It's that, it can slip away that fast. You know, we live in this culture. This culture is just pressing in on us, pressing in on us, pressing in on us. And, and because we're in the culture, we don't always see it. It's like a fish in water. You know, you talk to a fish about water, like, what are you talking about? That's what I live in. Like, I, I don't understand how you're... And because of our culture, you know, we live in our culture, we don't always see it. And our culture tends to lull us to sleep with stuff and things. You see, Jesus is eternal. He's going to outlast your things. One of the great disappointments so many of us are going to experience is that we're going to come to the end of our life and find out that all this stuff really wasn't worth it. It's better to learn it earlier, but one day we're going to learn it. 
You know, those of you that have poured your life into your career and sacrificed everything on the altar of career, you're going to come to one day, you're going to find out it wasn't worth it. Or accumulating things, because there's so much stuff to accumulate, isn't there? So much stuff. I just noticed they built a brand new storage thing. It was like so tall, like it's huge. Where, where's all this stuff coming from? Our basement and garages, that's where it's coming from. We're just accumulating. And now, you know, you can collect money and you can collect gold and you can collect silver. Now you can collect Bitcoin. And you can grab this and we can put this and we're going to plan for this and we're going to get this and we're going to buy this and we're going to grab this. And before you know it, you just find out, man, none of this stuff matters. It's done nothing for eternity. It isn't furthering the gospel. Listen, stuff is rather neutral, quite frankly. The Bible definitely teaches us to stay, save and plan ahead. The Bible teaches us to have a roof over our head, take care of our family. It's very neutral. The issue is the heart. What do you do with the stuff? If you're just accumulating stuff, accumulating stuff, you know, remember Jesus gave that parable, a guy got a barn, he, got, he had so much stuff, he had to build another barn, put all the stuff in, and then what happened? He says, you know, today or tomorrow, your, day, your life is going to be required of you. And what's going to happen when our lives are required of us? We're leaving all our stuff behind. I've, I've had the privilege and honor over the years to be at the bedside of those that are just moments away from entering into eternity, the bedside of those that are dying, hospice, home, hospitals. And in our conversation about life, about the future, to this date, I haven't spoken to any believer that would say, you know, Pastor, one of my regrets is I didn't get enough stuff. I wish I could have got more stuff. You know, I had this goal, and I, I never was able to reach that goal because I had one, but I wanted two, and I never got two. Never, no one's ever shared that with me. No, no one's ever shared a regret of, of living in a small house when they could have had a bigger. Nobody ever mentions it, but I'll tell you what they do mention. You know what, Pastor? I wasted my life. I neglected my family. I neglected my God. And I need to open up the Bible to them and remind them that in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation in it for those that are in Christ. I need to remind them that God is going to accept them and receive them. And I always share with them, you know what? I'm going to share your story one day. I'm going to share this moment like I am with you right now. I'm going to warn the living that there's still life to be lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, if you're able to make money, you make it for the kingdom of God. If you know your way around in real estate, then you do that for the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. It's all about priorities. It's not about the stuff. It's about priorities. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added. But it's flipped upside down so much. And because of this culture, if there's one thing this culture has done good to us, it's this given us the false hope of tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Hey, let's get busy for the things of God. No, tomorrow. Hey, let's go, let's go raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. Tomorrow. Let's make sure that, that, we, that we serve God. Maybe tomorrow. And this culture is always getting us to think about tomorrow. And while we're worried about tomorrow, we lose today. And then we lose the next day while we're all worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. And then our kids grow up right, behind, right before us. 
all the stuff we accumulate rusts and breaks down. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's eternal. Your stuff isn't going to make it. We're just passing through this earth. It's just temporary. Even we ourselves are going to get new bodies. Jesus is preparing for us a place right now. And he said, if I go and prepare a place, I'll come back for you. See, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's a day of finality. It's a day that says, everything I told you is true, Jesus says. And now, judgment will come upon the sinner. Read Isaiah chapter 26. And tell me if that sounds like judgment to a believer. It's to an unbeliever. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? You know, this word hasten has been misunderstood by many theologies. It's actually a real popular theology. It's called kingdom now theology. And it's very popular within the the faith movement today, most of the teachers on TV. And and it basically goes something like this. We're going to hasten the coming of the Lord with the idea, because hasten can sometimes be interpreted and defined as make something happen faster. That's not the definition of this word in particular, because you're not going to be able to make the coming of the Lord come faster. But some people, some people have created a theology that says, okay, look, we're going to hasten the coming of the Lord because the, as soon as the church gets perfect, and as soon as the church gets completely pure, then the Lord will come back. And so what's happened is we've, they have made the coming of God dependent upon man. And as I share with a brother after first service, you always know a false teaching when it makes man the center. As if Jesus is waiting for us to come back. Oh, I hope they get their act together. I hope they finally get perfect. Can I go now? Can I? No, not yet. Can I? Okay, okay. How close are they? I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was waiting for you to come back? He'd never come. How would you ever become perfect apart from his righteousness? He'd never come. See, the coming of the Lord is a fixed in time. He knows, we don't. And because we don't, we live life for him daily. The promise of tomorrow, hey, it may or may not come. That's the thing. That's the thing. We, we, we are not promised tomorrow. And neither do we know how many tomorrows we have. And so the Bible says, live for today. Today is the day. Now is the time. Seize the day, as many have said. He's eternal. He's greater than the angels because he is eternal. Finally, as we wind down chapter 1, we learn in verse 13, back in Hebrews, that Jesus is exalted. He's exalted to the right hand. Notice in verse 13, to what angel did God ever say, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? If you like to write in your Bibles, you can just write next to it, no angel. There is no angel that God ever said or ever will say, sit at my right hand. But to the son, that's where he's at. Remember the right hand is a position of love and joy and honor and dignity and triumph and victory and rule and authority and power and sovereignty, responsibility and duty, justice and judgment. The right hand is a very important place. Jesus has finished his work on the earth. Finish the work of salvation on the cross as a faithful and obedient son, the son of God. He died and was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. And no time in all of human history, past, present, or future, has God or will God ever tell an angel, sit at my right hand. 
only Jesus has. It's reserved for Jesus and him alone. There was an angel that thought it was his. His name was Lucifer, Satan. Remember, there's a lot of names for this guy. And he tried to usurp God's authority. His reward was to be kicked out of heaven for the demonic rebel that he was. That place and position is taken and reserved for Jesus Christ and Jesus only. But there are angels around the throne. Did you know that? Turn over to Revelation chapter 5, and this is where we'll end. Angels, as majestic as they are, still are just serving, ministering saints. They, they just serve the saints. They serve God. God tells them what to do, and they do it. But we are heirs of salvation, those that believe in Jesus. Angels are not lords, but servants. They're not heirs. They're created beings for a purpose. They exist for one thing and one thing only, to carry out the perfect will of Jesus Christ. And so what, what do the angels do when they're at the throne? Well, notice with me, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Hundreds of millions and millions of angels there. And notice what they're saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then that moved every creature which is in heaven and on the earth, under the earth. Such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the church of Jesus Christ here today say, amen. The angels are worshiping, esteeming glory and honor and praise to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Jesus is so much better than the angels. And we just learn 10 things that make him better, but there's so much more that make him better. He is alone worthy to be praised and honored and followed. I pray you would do that today. Well, thanks for hanging out with us here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? If so, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora or listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Pastor Ed, our pick of the month is the Calvary Road. Why did you pick this and how might it encourage our listeners? Well, you know, Larry, I picked this because this is one of those books that should be in every Christian's library, and it should be read at least once a year. Uh, it's a classic, and it is speaking on the topic of revival, but not in a way that people would expect. And with all that's happening in our world today, the political environment shifting here in the U.S., uh, the oppression and things that are coming against the church, a lot of people feeling disenfranchised, feeling like they're not being heard, persecution, challenges, it's all on the increase. People have a tendency, and listen, I, I'm, I know you asked me the question, Larry, but I, I want to address you guys that are listening, you listeners, our friends, part of the family here. You've got to be careful because our answer is not in politics. Our answer is not from the government. And our answer from the Lord is not like a worldwide revival. Our answer from the Lord is a personal revival, a simple surrendered life. And that's what the Calvary Road encourages you to get right with the Lord. I mean, it's 70 years old. It's a 70-year-old book that's still 
as relevant today as it was when it was written. To receive, you know, to prepare ourselves to receive the fullness that God has for us so that we might walk in a way that honors God, loving our Lord God with our heart, soul, and mind, and then loving our neighbors, ourselves. And we need to look up in times like this. And so the pick, you know, on the heels of the pick that we had in January, God's help for the troubled heart. Look, God's doing a deep work on the inside of our lives. And that's the theme I want to encourage you in a deep work because he loves us and he loves you. And I know it's hard and I know it's challenging and I know it's unfair in many ways, the things you're facing, but your hope is from the Lord. And that's my heart. And I will go down until I meet Jesus face to face, committed to pointing you to the Lord. Because you know, the, the, the neat thing is, is I obey that in the scriptures, pointing you to the Lord. I also am pointed to the Lord in my own struggles, in my own grief, in all the drama that surrounds my life. The Lord is good and faithful to me and to you. We'll gladly send you the Calvary Road when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Hebrews. Join Pastor Ed Taylor all week long as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.